We've been talking about this being sanctified holy in spirit, soul, and body. And we looked at the sanctification of the soul in more detail. We looked at being renewed in our minds. We looked at that for a couple weeks. Now I want us to focus on our will. Romans 12, 2. We'll read verses 1 and 2. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is a good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So I want us to see the will of God is good, acceptable, and perfect. And I want us to look at three responses that we can have to the will of God. The self-will, the stubborn will, or the submitted will. So let's look to the Lord for guidance, please, tonight. Father, again, thank you for your love and goodness. Lord, I pray you guide us as we study having a submitted will, a will, Lord, that's following you, a will that is sanctified according to your, your will. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. It says the, word, the will of God is good. It's something honorable. Does God desire the best for you? Yes, he does. So then, is not the will of God absolutely what's best for you? Sometimes that path includes trials, tribulations, struggles, because was not Job on the path that God wanted him to be the entire time that we read about the book of Job and the trials that Job went through? Was he still not where God wanted him to be? Was it still not what was best for Job? Some may say, well, hey, wait, wait a minute. How was that good for Job? Job continued to follow God the whole way through. It brought glory to God. And ultimately, we see Job being blessed again at the end. But even if, if, even if God had chosen not to bless Job at the end, Job still would continue and should continue to follow God because God's way is always perfect. You see, sometimes God's will is not always to remove the ailment or the pain or the suffering that we might be in, but rather for us to be glor- Him to be glorified in the pain or ailment or whatever we have, such as the example of the Apostle Paul, who, whatever the thorn in the flesh was, asked for it to be removed three times, and, God, and Jesus said, my grace is sufficient for you. And because of all the revelation that had been given to Paul, God knew it was better that Paul had this ailment to keep him humble as opposed to remove it from him and Paul becoming proud and taking credit instead of giving it to God. The will of God is acceptable. It's well-pleasing. Since God knows what is best, it makes sense that his will would be well-pleasing to my life. Now, we don't always think of the will of God as pleasing to us. Look at Jonah. Did he think it was pleasing to go to Nineveh and preach to Nineveh? No. Jonah decided, I'm going to do it my way, God, not yours. The will of God is perfect, wanting nothing. Following the will of God will not leave you dissatisfied. But I promise you, I promise you, following materialism, following selfishness, following anything other than God and His will will leave you 
empty. So let's look at the self-will. The self-will is prideful. Isaiah 14, 12 through 14. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which did weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Lucifer's whole focus was on self. I, 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 I. And you know, we've all met the person that always has to talk about me, and they're so in love with me. And if you're not in love with me, there's something wrong with you. Let me tell you more about me so you can be in love with me as much as I'm in love with me, right? Honestly, how many people like to be around that type of person? Then should we not examine our hearts and make sure we're not that type of person to others? Because, you know, we all like to talk about what's important to us, don't we? But we can very quickly, if we're not careful, become wrapped around me and talking about me and not anybody else. Satan was full of pride. The self-will does not consider the will of God in their lives. Hold your place here in Romans. Go with me back to the Gospel of Luke in chapter 12. Luke's Gospel in chapter 12. And we're going to look at this parable again that we've seen probably many times, most of you. But here, Jesus speaking in verse 16, Luke chapter 12 and verse 16, he says, And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room to bestow my fruits. And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for thee for many years. Take thy knees, eat, drink, and be merry. You hear the same situation as we see in Lucifer, in that it's all about me, all about me, 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 not about God, not about serving others, not about anything else but me. Verse 20, but God said to him, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who should those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So is he that is layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. You see, this man never considered this may be his last day. He never thought to stop and pray and say, God, what would you have me to do with this abundance that you provided? Right? Yes, he went out to the field and he labored in tilling the ground and he labored in sowing the seed and he labored in cultivating it and weeding it and, and, you know, all the other things that had to happen and harvesting it. But it is God who provided the harvest. You know, it's amazing to me driving to Raleigh, I don't remember if it was last week or two weeks ago, you get out in the Wayne County and you can tell it's been dry out there. The corn is about that tall. That is not a crop of corn. There's nothing we can do about the weather, is there? But we know the one who can, is in complete control of it. There's nothing we can do about many things. You know, cr- farmers have lost crops to bugs getting in the crops and, you know, you name it. There's, there's a million things that can go wrong. From the time you plant that seed to the time you put it in the barn, there seems to be about a million things that can go wrong. 
told you before, helped a farmer. And we mowed the hay, raked the hay, baled the hay, and the storm's coming as we're trying to get the hay in the barn. You know, wet hay in the barn does not equal good day. There'll be a lot of barn fires that way. But the farmer needed the hay because that's how he fed the cows. It's God who provides. And we need to give glory to him. This man didn't think about God. He didn't think about his poor neighbors. He didn't say, you know what? God has blessed me so richly. I have more than I possibly could use. I think I'm going to go down to the local food pantry and give some to them. I think I'm going to call up my neighbors that I know are struggling. I'm going to be an encouragement to them today. No. I'm going to pull down my barns and I'm going to build bigger because it's all about me. And then I'm going to say to my soul, soul, this guy talked to himself. That should tell you something's wrong with him, right? Soul, take thy knees. Eat, drink, be merry. Never thinking this was his last night on earth. We should live every day as though this could be our last day and not live self-willed, thinking only of me, but thinking of others. He didn't pray about what to do. You see, the self-will doesn't, as I mentioned already, does not consider the needs of others. Philippians 2, 4, look every man, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. But the self-will will indulge in selfish ple- pleasure. When we're self-willed, we forget to pray, we forget to witness, we forget to study our Bibles, because I'm living for me and not for him. But then there's the stubborn will, the stubborn will that refuses to listen to God. Many times, even knowing what the will of God is. Again, think of um, Jonah. He knew the will of God for him was to go to Nineveh and preach. So he goes to Spain instead, right? Because that's the total opposite way from Nineveh. Or Pharaoh, I mean, it's pretty obvious God wanted Pharaoh to let his people go, right? He sends Moses. Moses tells him very directly, let my people go. Or what? Yeah, he found out or what, didn't he? You think after, you know, plague one, two, three, four, five, six, maybe the guy would get the point, but no, he was pretty thick-headed. He was a very stubborn man. The stubborn will is, even though they know the will of God, is going to reject the will of God. And this is where I see too many people in our society today. Those that claim to be Christian and those not Christian, rejecting the will of God that they know to exist. You say, what do you mean? I've met Christians who might live for Christ for a while, But then something happens in their life, and they're like, you know what? It's not working for me. Well, there's your problem. It's not about you. Never was. It's about him. And I don't understand this theology, this false theology, that when I become a Christian, everything in my life needs to go now good in my way because I'm serving God, so why is he not giving me everything I want? Why is not everything going really well in my life? Well, again... We don't always have to understand the perfect will of God, but we need to trust the perfect will of God. I want to show you how foolish a stubborn will can be. 
Come with me back to Numbers 22 for just a moment. Numbers 22, and let's start at verse 19. Now, therefore, I pray you, tarry ye also here this night, that I may know what the Lord will say unto, say unto me more. And God came into Balaam at night, and he said unto him, If the men come to thee, come to call thee, rise up and go with them. But yet the word of the Lord, uh, the word which I shall say unto thee, that shalt thou do. And Balaam rose up early in the morning, saddled his ass, and went with the princes of Moab. By the way, they didn't call on him. He just saddled up and went. Verse 22, And God's anger was kindled because he went, and the angel of the Lord stood in the way of the um, way for an adversary against him. Now he was riding upon his ass and his two servants with him. And the ass saw the angel of the Lord standing away and his sword drawn in his, in, in his hand. And the ass turned aside out of the way and went into the field. And Balaam smote the ass to turn her in the way. And the angel of the Lord stood in the path of the vineyards, a wall between his side and a wall on that side. And when the ass saw the angel of the Lord, she thrust herself into the wall and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall. And he smote her again. And the angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right or to the left. And when the ass saw the angel of the Lord, she fell down under Balaam. And Balaam's anger was kindled, and he smote the ass with a staff. And the Lord opened the mouth of the ass, and she said unto Balaam, What have I done unto thee that thou smitest me these three times? And Balaam said in the ass, Because thou hast mocked me, I would that there were a sword in my hand, for now I would kill thee. And the ass said unto Balaam, Am not I thine ass, upon which thou hast ridden ever since I was thine unto this day? Was I ever one to do so unto thee? And he said, Nay. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way, and a sword drawn in his hand, and he bowed down his head and fell flat on his face. And the angel of the Lord said unto him, Wherefore hast thou smitten thine ass these three times? Behold, I went out to withstand thee, because thy way is perverse before me. And the ass saw me, and she turned from me these three times, unless she had turned from me. Surely now also I had slain thee and saved her alive. You want to talk about a stubborn will. This man is so insistent, he's going to go with these Moabites, that he hops on his donkey in the morning, and he has her going, and the donkey sees the angel, and she turns to the side, and he gets mad at his donkey, starts beating his donkey, gets back on her, rides again. It happens a second time where she crushes his foot against the wall. happens a third time when she just lies down from under him, and he's just beating on this donkey. And all of a sudden, the donkey says, Balaam, why are you beating me? Because I'm mad at you. Anybody ever talk to their donkeys? All right. Your dog, your cat, your fish, any of them ever talk to you? If they did, would you be talking back and just, you know, because I'm mad at you? You'd probably be like, whoa, wait a minute. Did my dog just talk? <laughs> but no, not Balaam. He is so stubborn, so self-willed, so stubborn-willed, that he is so angry that he's just still wailing on it. I'm just mad at you. What are you talking about? Shut up, you dumb donkey. You know what I'm saying? Wow. Now, I will admit anger is one of the sins that God has had to deal with me on numerous times. And I can almost understand Balaam because there have been times I've been so angry. When I look back at some of the things I did, I'm like, that was just absolutely stupid. There's nothing else to say about it. I've been so angry at times that if my donkey started talking to me, I'd probably start yelling back at it too. But you know what I found about that? 
A soon angry man is usually a very stubborn-willed individual, just like Balaam. He didn't care what God had said. He wanted it his way. His stubbornness was going to make it happen no matter what. That's why I pointed out, God said, if they come call for thee, go with them. He's up before the chickens, putting the saddle on. You guys ready to go? You were going to call on me, by the way, right? Because I figured you were, because I'm already here, ready to go. And he just starts riding along. And God, again, trying to stop him. Kind of like Jonah, too, going back to him. How long would you have to be in the whale's belly before you started praying to God? Now, I know he was there three days and three nights. And apparently he didn't start praying right away. It doesn't appear as though he started praying right away. He was just waiting to get digested. I'm just angry. I'll wait. Not happening. And after a while, can you imagine the ride in the belly of another animal? That had to be horrible. That just, that, that's just, it's gross. It's disgusting. I don't even want to get into it. Let's just leave it. But okay, he's riding in the belly of this, this fish, a fish, just waiting to get digested. Then finally, starts praying to God. Stubborn. We men are stubborn. So are women. That was men in the generic term. When we show a stubborn will, we refuse to confess our sin, and we insist on doing something contrary to God's will. So let's talk lastly then about the submitted will. The submitted will understands God is in control. For this, we'll turn to the book of James. James, in the fourth chapter, starting at verse 13. Go to now, ye that say, today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas ye know not what is on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. For you ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now rejoice in your boasting. Not, but now rejoice in all, and rejoice ye in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. The submitted will understands God is in control. If the Lord will, we will do this. If the Lord will, we'll do that. If the Lord will, we'll see you. If the Lord will. Now, we don't say that as a trite phrase just to sound spiritual. But every time we utter those words, if the Lord will, we should be reminding ourselves, I am submitted to the perfect, the good and perfect and holy will of God. Right? So it doesn't mean we don't make plans. Because other passages of Scripture make it clear that we should have I mean, does it not talk about if a man's going to build a tower, he's going to sit down and see if he has enough to finish it, right? Okay, so there's planning involved in life, is there not? When a farmer puts the, the crop in the field, he's planning on what it's going to take to get to a good harvest. When you start building something, you already have planned and you, you plan it the whole way through. When you go to work, you should have a plan of how you're going to accomplish all the tasks throughout the day. You should have a plan of how you're going to grow in the Lord and, 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 and how, how you're going to uh, continue in the Word and, and have, plan to have a prayer time, plan to have family time, plan to have these things. There is planning in life. That's not what we're saying. But the thi what thing we are saying is, Lord willing, in other words, 
He's the, he's the master of the plan, and he can change the plan anytime he wants to. Have you ever had some great plans, and they got changed unexpectedly? So, do we get mad about it? Do we get angry about it? Do we get self-willed about it? Unfortunately, too often we do, but should we not rather say, his will be done, not mine? Now, I'm not talking about if you got up 10 minutes late and you're late to work, okay, that's not God's fault. But if you're driving to work and, you know, there's an accident on the way to work, not that you're in it, but you're stuck in traffic, and you didn't know that there was going to be this traffic, that wasn't your fault, right? If you normally get to work early. Now, if you get to work right on time, well, then that's your fault too, because to be on time is to be late, right? 15 minutes prior to 15 minutes prior for everything. Those in the military know exactly what I'm talking about. That's why the privates show up 15 minutes before everybody, and it's an hour and a half before the event ever starts, right? <laughs> Anyhow, or at least that's the way it's supposed to work. But do we submit to God's will in our lives? You know, I hear people say, well, I plan on doing all these things. You know, I plan on when I grow up, I'm going to do this. And, and I'm not talking just young people. I'm talking people my age because some, of, some haven't grown up yet, you know. But, and while we should be looking forward to what we could do to serve God, what if God changes the plan? Are we willing to still submit to his plan? Do you think Job thought, you know, I know what God's plan is for today. Today's the day I lose everything I've owned. It's funny. I told you I was meeting with these preachers here this week. And one of them asked a question. God gave Satan permission to take everything Job had. Why did he leave his wife? I'm not even going to get into that. The submitted will follows no matter the consequences. And let me give you this illustration. The man Joseph. Joseph was a man striving to serve God. God gives him a dream. He shares it with his brothers. His brothers get mad at him. Was it Joseph's fault that his dad favored him? No. But all his brothers held it against him. His brothers sell him into slavery, yet he chose to still follow the will of God. Goes into slavery. His master's wife lies about him. He ends up in prison. Still chooses to follow God. In prison, the baker and the butler cast into prison, and one of them's restored, forgets about him. He's there for several more years, still chooses the will of God. And I bring up him as an example because there's many times in my life when I'm, when I'm tempted, as many are, to say, God, I keep trying but it never seems to work out quite right. You ever feel that way? Well, that goes back to the selfishness part I found many times. But in his case, it really wasn't working out right, was it? But he chose to submit to God and say, God, I can imagine Joseph in his prayer. I don't understand why I'm still here in prison. But Lord, I'm going to trust you anyhow. Do you think... When Joseph finally saw his dad and his brethren, that he didn't look back and say, wow, what if I had quit on God? What if I had said, God, I'm tired of following you. I'm going to start doing it my way. I'm glad he didn't. 
I'm glad he kept following God. And Christian, you and I need to realize it doesn't matter what struggles come in life, what trials come in life, God's way is still good, acceptable, and perfect. And we need to follow his will no matter what. I opened this morning, or this evening's message by saying about we have had several people falling by the wayside. I'd be lying to you if I didn't tell you. Do I find that as a pastor very discouraging? Yes, I do. Have there been times when in the ministry feel so low, it's like, why bother anymore? Yep. But let me tell you something. I realized, and, I, and God keeps teaching me, several principles that I was taught. Number one, never question in the dark what God revealed to you in the light. You say, what do you mean by that? If God showed you this is my will for you, and times get rough, don't question what he said to do. Keep doing it anyhow. Number two, never make hasty decisions based on feelings. Don't make decisions based on feelings, period. But many times our hasty decisions are based on feelings. Number three, it's his will that matters, not mine. You see, we put sometimes put too big an emphasis on things that God didn't. And for we pastors, the temptation is put the emphasis on numbers. Is it not? Now, I understand numbers equal souls, but did God ever say, you go build a mega church? Nope. He never said that. He said, I will build my church. And you know what he's called me to do? He said, you shepherd my flock. That's what he's called me to do. So let's learn to submit to the will of God, no matter what. But I will say this. When we submit to the will of God, we can enjoy true peace. You know what got Job through all those hard times and through enduring his friends, telling them how wrong he was? Job did do some soul searching. We see that in Job's comments. But Job said, when I am tried, I will come forth as gold. Job had a peace even in his trial. Now, did Job say, yeah, I wish to be dead? Well, let me tell you something. If I were in that kind of pain, there would be times I'd be saying, you know what, I'd rather just be dead than enduring this. But he still had a peace in his heart. God will give you a peace as you follow him and follow his will. Our will is to be sanctified. We're not to be self-willed or stubborn-willed, but rather we must have a submitted will. And I meant to look this up and see if it's in this hymnal. I don't remember if it is or not. Do we have one of the uh, soul-stirring hymns here at the church? No. I was going to look up the song talking about the sweet will of God. And I can't believe it's not in this hymnal. And I don't remember the words because I was going to look it up so I didn't have to write it all down. But the song basically asks, it talks about the sweet will of God. Folks, that's where we need to dwell, in the will of God. Having our will sanctified by being submitted to his will. Not being self-willed, not being stubborn-willed, but being submitted to him. <clears throat> Let us bow forward a prayer.